Turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 2. And we're going to read from chapter, sorry, verse 2 through to verse 27. We noted um, last time, we, we started a couple of weeks ago and then we've had a, a break. And over half term, Rob's been talking about our statement of faith. But we come back now to, to 1 John. That's a very practical book. Um, teaching is about assurance. And let me read it to you. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, or I have written to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I don't write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. 
As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. There are some sermon notes there on the, on the, on the side there, on the, on the windowsills, some spare ones here, some spare ones over there. Um, so we pick this up. Let me just pray once more. Father God, this is really clear. And we pray that nothing we do or I do this morning muddies the clarity of John's word, but rather you would uh, help us see them as, as simple truths. Uh, I pray that you'll apply them to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We will know that you yourself have spoken to us and you will enable us to respond and change appropriately. We ask it in your name. Amen. Okay. So we're studying this subject of assurance out of one, of 1 John. It's these questions, how do I know I'm a Christian? Or how do I know who is a true Christian? What's a proper church? How am I going to discern? For us, it's the next logical step in discipleship. We were in Romans uh, 1 to 3, uh, looking at the essentials of the gospel. But now this is another question, uh, not just knowing the gospel, but knowing that you know the gospel, if you see what I mean, and knowing that the gospel is applied to you and to your heart. And as Lloyd-Jones said, assurance is not essential to salvation, but it is essential to the joy of salvation. And we want that joy, don't we? Uh, as we're going on in the Lord, we want to know that we're saved, uh, we want to know that we're in Christ, and we want to have joy uh, in, in that trust. The situation, as we said before, is that members of John's church have left, up, have left them. They've gone out and they've set up down the road, or, or maybe a little bit further than down the road, but it's near enough um, to them to be distracting. And it's near enough in doctrine to be confusing. It's not the people who speak about God under other names or with different words who are the ones who causes the problem. They're the ones who talk about God using the same words, um, but mean something else. Who are the ones we need to be discerning about. And it helps then, not only to know our own hearts, but John is helping us to know which is the true church. When I look at all the churches around me, if it comes uh, to a point where I have to move, um, how do I spot who are the true Christians and what is a true church? And so we've seen this last time, he, he's laid out some, some basic truths and some basic untruths. These are the basic truths. Um, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You can think back to John 1. I mean, there are so many, uh, should be ringing bells in your mind, all the way through 1 John, back into, into John's gospel. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. That's the one truth, the nature of God is light. The second is the historical reality of the, of the incarnation. If we go back to what John said in his gospel, the word, that's the second person of the Trinity, that is God the Son, who's always been in existence, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And as John can say, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, of grace and truth. So these are the, the, the two Key truths 
that underpin what John is going to say. But he's also noticing some untruths, um, perhaps in his own church, but certainly in in these folks who've gone out from the church and started um, the other church. Some people are are, are saying sin, sin doesn't matter. John says it's just a basic untruth. It's a lie against the nature of God. God is light. So God is, God is holy in, in all possible ways. God is purity uh, himself. Uh, sin is deeds of darkness. You cannot say sin doesn't matter. We saw that last time. And some people are saying, I haven't sinned. They're, they're saying, uh, I, I've reached a, a state of perfection. I've had some extra knowledge or an extra experience and, and I've reached this point where um, <laughs> I'm beyond, beyond sin. And John says, we saw last time, that's a lie to to yourself um, and about yourself. How then do we resolve that problem? That we can't say sin doesn't matter. We can't say we're uh, we're perfect. So we have to say that we have sinned. We do deeds of darkness and yet God is light. How do we resolve that? Well, this is where we finished last time. John gives us this wonderful uh, little kind of gospel summary. My dear children. He says, I write to this so that you won't sin, but if anybody does sin, have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice that satisfies um, God's anger and turns it away from you so that God looks on you in blessing, and not only is the sacrifice, he's the advocate. He, he's standing, as it were, next to the Father. And when you sin, he says, Look, my blood applies to this. And it covers this. Isn't that great? And the mechanism for, for taking hold of that is there in 1 John 1 9. And I've said, as I've said before, if you don't memorize any other verses in your Christian life, this is one to memorize. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's by way of getting us back up to speed. And we said last time that that John was starting to develop um, three tests. Three tests of the the true Christian. Which will also give you three tests of of a true Christian church. And now in this chapter we see them spelled out. And they are these. Test of the true Christian. Obedience to Christ. It's there, verse 3 to 6. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. It's very simple. And I'm going to try and be very simple this morning. There's no point trying to muddy this or complicate this. Second is love for fellow Christians. It's there in verses 7 to 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And the truth of the incarnation. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus in the Christ. Three uh, simple tests of a true Christian and a, and a proper church. Um, we won't look at all three of them today. But, well, we will look at all three of them, but two briefly and one in slightly more depth. Because John is not going to apply these only once. Oh no. Okay, he's going to come back and apply them a second time, and then he's going to come back and apply them a third time. I think that's why one John is such a hard book to get your head round. Because he's going to go around in a circle, and he's going to come back round, and he's going to come back round, all in a slightly different way. 
And as we go along, uh, I want you to think about how they're, uh, how they're similar to our vision as a church. Um, I was going to put the banner up with a vision on, but it didn't seem quite appropriate today. But we want to be a church in which God moves as we witness through word-based oneness. Witness through word-based oneness. You might be intrigued because that partly came out of Acts 2 and it came out of Rob's teaching in, in John. So it shouldn't be surprised you to see that that's there today if, if, you can, if you can make the connections as we go along. So three tests. Test number one, obedience to Jesus' commands. We know that we've come to know him if we, if we keep his commands. This, it's just really, really simple, isn't it? And this is to know in the sense of knowing in one's experience. We know that we've come to know uh, if, we're, if we're keeping his commands. Knowing in experience this is as opposed to knowing as a fact. And John says a Christian might make two claims. They might say, I know Jesus. Now, that's, you know, you know you, I hope you would make that claim. You would say, I know Christ. And, and somebody in another church um, might say that. But if they are not following Jesus' commands, they are lying. That's what John says. It's not really it's simple, basic. You cannot say you know Jesus unless there is evidence that you are living or at least motivated um, to live like Jesus. Or you might say, I live in, I live in him. I am in Christ. Brilliant. Hallelujah. You're in Christ. But John says then you must live as Jesus did. Very simple test. And, and in contrast, um, if anyone obeys God's word, uh, God's word in its broadest sense, the, the, the gospel um, in, in all its breadth, then the love of God is, is made complete in them. John Stott says this, true love for God is expressed not in sentimental language or mystical experience, but in moral obedience. Says the proof of love is loyalty. Proof of love is loyalty. I, I, that's, that's kind of pretty plain, isn't it? Um, but as you go on in the Christian life, you will dis, if you haven't discovered... Uh, increasing subtleties of, of sin in your life, then, then kind of something's not, something's not firing properly. I, I discovered in the, in the last couple of weeks, there's, there's, there's a little bit of me somewhere that says, oh, I'm, I'm kind of, I had too hard a childhood and I'm, I'm too damaged for this really to apply to me. That Jesus should really expect me to, to keep his commands. Um, and you will have your own version of that. Somewhere. You will have your own version which says there is a reason. Not clever enough. Not strong enough. It, life's been too hard. I'm too tired. It, it's a phase of life. You will have a reason uh, why you say, this doesn't apply to me. But it does. Men, I think, are particularly good at that. I don't know why. I haven't had a chance to think this through. It's just a gut feel. This is particularly a man thing. Second test, love for fellow Christians. Beloved, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Actually, let me read a little bit more of that. 
He says, dear friend, he says, beloved. He, he's, he's very warm, is John. He, he loves these people. And I say the same to you. Um, beloved um, friends, I'm not writing you a new command, John says, but an old one which you've, which you've had since the beginning. He doesn't actually say at any point what that command is. But I think we can assume uh, that it's what uh, he records Jesus as saying in John 13. A new commandment, I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. There's nothing new about the command to love. It's an, it's an Old Testament command. Um, but it was made new in, in Christ. And they've had it since the beginning. They've had it since they first uh, met Jesus. But it's this old command is made new in Christ. It's because what's, made, what's new about it? Well, we see what was, what was new. Ten Commandments were essentially a love guide. But it's now been enca- that law of Moses has now been encapsulated in Christ. It's given a new simplicity and a new expression, a new positive expression of do's rather than do nots. It's exemplified by this, his self-sacrifice, even unto death. So we have a new example. It's, a new, it's an old command, isn't it? But it's a new one because we have a new example in Christ. So Paul can say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Obedient to death, even death on the cross. It's been extended to include unexpected neighbours. Think of the parable of the New Samaritan. It's been given a new scope. We're always commanded to love, but I guess in the Old Testament it was mainly focused inwards. Now it's focused, who is your neighbour? It's anyone who's in need that you come across. It's given a new energy. It's been energised by the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Paul to Timothy. So here's another potential claim a Christian might make. I'm in the light. I've been enlightened um, by God. And John says, not if you hate a brother or sister in Christ. If that's the case, you're still still actually in darkness. You can't say I'm in the light, I've been enlightened, and then still do deeds of darkness. Particularly hating a brother or sister in Christ. And he goes on to say that... If you hate a brother or sister, you actually make your own life dark. You're actually contributing to your own darkness. You're actually obscuring um, your own uh, your own walk. You're obscuring your own sense of spiritual direction. You're making it dark for yourself. So that's really clear, isn't it? And this is the one I just want to spend a little bit more time on. <coughs> And the other two we'll spend more time on as as we go through. Later in the letter, John says this. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Yeah, read it again. It does say that. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, he's turned it round now, hasn't he? Whom they have seen, cannot, not does not, or is weak at, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Because love for God is to love your brother and sister in Christ. 
So if you do not love them, you have withdrawn love for God um, to that extent. You cannot love God. So I, I want to kind of spell out two rules. I might add a third one, which is don't send me rude emails on Sunday mornings. It's very sadly the case. <clears throat> Think on these things, people. It, it, it does happen. Uh, and I want to make two um, practical rules in place. Don't speak negatively about people when they are not present. Are, are we up for this? It's really important. So don't gossip. Gossip, these are not, not exactly the same thing. But gossip is either breaking a confidence, or I think it is to speak negatively about somebody um, when they are not present. And can I ask that we, we stop this? Proverbs 16, let me, talk, let me tell you Proverbs, you'll love, you should look up, um, if you've got any, a concordance or um, do it online, look up gossip. Um, and Proverbs is great. A perverse person stirs up conflict. A perverse person stirs up conflict, okay? And a gossip separates close friends. Though a couple of times it recognises this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the inmost parts. We all know how great it is to have a piece of information that nobody knows. And then there's a massive temptation to go, did you hear about that? Do you not, you not experience that temptation? It's just like, ooh, I've experienced it. There's a massive temptation when you've got information that, that nobody else knows. But a gossip, Proverbs 20, betrays the confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Proverbs 20, uh, verse 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Or Proverbs 26, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. And if you want to go back and read what Paul says about um, gossips in Romans 1, you remember we were there only uh, a matter of weeks ago. He talks about the people who didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Uh, These people who God gave over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And he says they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful, etc., etc., etc. So that's the one thing. And the other thing I want to say is is I want to stop holding on to negative information for future use. I want to suggest that we have a a policy of use it or lose it. Okay. So Ephesians 4 says that speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So fundamental to maturity is this ability to speak the truth uh, in love. There may be things you need to speak in somebody else's life. Now, they may be not going to take us positive, but to speak the truth in, in love is how we grow up. 
but so often we tend to do the opposite. So Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Notice. So Paul says, if you're angry and you go to bed angry, you're giving the devil a foothold. Giving the devil room, giving, you know, somewhere to put his crowbar, the end of his crowbar and wiggle it about. It's quite hard to do, husbands and wives. And I think this particularly applies in the household. I want to offer you a kind of um, a slightly easier rule. And I want to suggest this, that if you've got anything against a grievance or anything against someone in church that's more than two weeks old, that then it's past its sell-by date. Okay, it's gone, it's over. Okay, and that gives you two weeks, that gives you two Sundays. So if you've got, some, you've got a grievance against somebody, you've got one possibility, I'll just see if they're there on Sunday. You've got a second possibility to see if they're there on Sunday. You've got a couple of days left over to give them a call and say, okay, can we have a coffee? That's something I, I, I really want to talk to you about. And after that, it's gone. Okay? It's old news, and it is yours to deal with on your own. By the grace of God, you seek grace of God just to forgive it and, and leave it. And let it go. Otherwise, it's not actually safe to be a, a community of people. They always say that kind of like um, Christians were like, um, were like porcupines on a cold night. It's kind of like we're, we're huddling together for warmth and fellowship, which is right, but we kind of prickle each other a, a, along the way. Um, has to be safe um, to, to come together. Church has to be a safe space, does it not? And so that means you have to know that when you come in, if somebody speaks to you, they're only going to do so in love. And you know when you come in that, that nobody is holding something that's more than two weeks old. There will be occasional exceptions. Does anybody have a problem with that? If you do, I'd like you to raise your hand now. Let's move on. A little digression. Do not love the world, John says. Um, just really briefly, we can't go into this now. There's a lot in verses 15 to 17. You can take away and read it. We may or may not have a chance to come back to it. Um, but just a little thing we need to kind of lay out now for your reading, if, you, if you're reading through the book. The world in the writings of John is the world of sinful people. He doesn't mean the universe um, the cosmos, he doesn't even mean the earth. He means the life of human society as organised under the power uh, of evil. So in John's mind, it's really clear uh, that the church is the place that is under God um, and the world is the place that is under the power of Satan. He says this, he that is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world, which is uh, Satan. Very clear, in the world, Satan is at work. You could go to Ephesians 2, the beginning of that, for that. Um, but, uh, but for us, um, he that is in us is, is greater, the Holy Spirit. But God still loves it. God so loved the world, um, same meaning, that he gave his one and only son. 
so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know that. God loves this broken, fallen world that um, fights against him. Christians are chosen out of the world. And that's why the world hates us. You can go back into John for this, look these up. The world hates us. And we're not to love the world. This is what John says here. Don't love the world or anything in the world. He means don't love the world system. Don't love the, the way the world does things, which is lust. Um, fleshly lust, bodily lust, lust of the eyes, loving to look at things and new things and, the, and pride. But with God, we can love the people and look to rescue them in Christ. But we have to move past that quickly. We have to move past this quickly as well. And test three is the acknowledgement of the incarnation. I'm not going to stay here very long. Uh, but John says, this is the last hour. The last time started with Jesus' ascension. And at the last, at the end of the last times, the Antichrist will come. Um, but he's already at work. And John sees him already at work in those who have left the church. These are these people who deny the incarnation uh, of Jesus. They say that Jesus is not the Christ. And by that they don't mean like the Jews would mean he's not their Messiah. But they're denying that Jesus was fully God and uh, fully man. So they're probably saying Jesus, he was just a man. He was born a man. He was died a man. In between, some emanation from God came down from him um, at his baptism. But it, but it left again um, uh, at the cross. What John says is that what Christians believe is that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was born uh, as a human being. He took on flesh. And as that God-man, he lived and he died and he rose again. And he is still the God-man. Anyone who denies that the incarnation is definitely not a Christian. That's a really simple test you can apply uh, and Christine will talk more about Jehovah's Witnesses tonight. The, the antidote, or, or the way to protect yourself against that, is twofold. John says, we can't do, go into this detail now. See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. In other words, keep seeing that Jesus' teaching remains in you. Uh, and the instructing anointing of the Holy Spirit. So those two things, word and spirit, you could go back to John 15, look that up. We don't have time to... To look at that now, but that's the third test, and that is the, uh, and that is the antidote. But I'm going to ask you: Did you spot the this is us? If I can say that, did you spot the this is us in in this passage? Um, the this is us and the claims that they um, are, are really instructive. You can go back and read that for yourself. Um, how do you, how do you how do we? How do you measure up against those tests? First one. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Is that, is that happening? Is that changing? Is that moving on? Is that even uh, there's a motivation in your life? So that obedience becomes what we talk about in our, in our vision statement as ministry or witness. Are you loving like Jesus? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? 
or do things just niggling away which are unresolved? Well, if they're more than two weeks old, they've gone. Okay, stop it. (laughs) Forgive as the Lord forgave you uh, and, and have done with it. And if that continues to be a problem, then you have to continue to go back to the cross uh, until it's dealt with. It's your problem. That's how we can be a a safe and growing community. It is lovely um, that God is at work in us um, um, and we are growing as a community. Are you persevering in in the truth of Jesus? You have that sense as you come to the word that the, that the spirit uh, is with you and, and God speaks to you through the world. That's maturity. It leads to maturity as we've said it in our vision statement. But I finish with this. I finish with those little things that John put in the middle. And I think he put it, he put it in the middle for the same reason I'm putting it as, at the end. It, it's just in the midst of this, uh, where you're kind of hit with three tests. At least a little bit of encouragement. John says, I'm writing to you. That's in, in, in verse 12 onwards. He says, I'm writing to you. And then he says in the following verse, literally, I have written to you. And he says, I write to you if you're a young Christian today. This is not in terms of age, but in terms of your, your walking Christ. I'm writing to you young Christians because you've found forgiveness and you know God the Father. You know Father God. You know God as your Father. That's true, isn't it? Uh, lovely that the people in the church who are coming to know um, God as Father and finding forgiveness. It says, I'm writing to you fathers, in other words, to you mature Christians, because you have a mature, seasoned trust in him who is um, from the beginning. It's kind of, in, you, have this, you have this long-term kind of faith, uh, and you're a bit long-term yourself, um, so you understand that um, God is... Uh, God is he who's been from the beginning, and that he is trustworthy, that he's the creator, that he has your life in his hands, uh, and death is not that scary. And these kind of middle-aged Christians, or these Christians are not young, but they're not old in the faith, and he says to you, I'll write to you because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. And these Christians are the, are the, um, are the strength of the church. You know, the people where the word of God is actively in you and you are the church's um, fighting force. You, know, you are the young men and, and women of, of the church. You are those who are not, you're not baby Christians anymore. Uh, but you have faith. Uh, and this is where the work of the, of, of the church is, is getting done. And I guess you'll find yourself fitting into one of those categories. But it's, it's lovely to be in, in, in Staines Con. Uh, people are becoming Christians, there are young Christians, plenty of mature, seasoned Christians, and there are also a generation of Christians in the middle who, who are strong. Uh, the word of God is active within you, and the church is, is fighting forward. We want to be a church in which God moves as we witness through word-based oneness.